Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Dr. Michael Hammer, an American organist, pianist, composer, improviser and fellow blogger uh, who is the creator of the blog called Piano Noise. Uh, and he is also the organist at Faith United Methodist Church in Champaign, Illinois. And in this conversation, Michael will share his ideas about being a blogger, about being an improviser, composer, and of course, liturgical organists. So let's go to the show. And I hope you will find this conversation inspiring. Michael, I'm so delighted to finally talk uh, talk to you i've been following your blog uh, uh, piano noise uh, for quite a while and you are a brilliant storyteller um, uh, basically uh, every blog post that i read is a complete and uh, unique story that you that you publish I am so envious of the skill because, of course, <laughs> telling stories is uh, is what it's all about in music, in words, in pictures, mm. in videos, anything. So, Michael, yes. um, tell us a little bit b- about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Well, uh, I grew up in a very small community. It was about a square mile. Um, I grew up in a small uh, white A-frame church such as Dot Middle America. Uh, We have a lot of those. And uh, I started to play the piano uh, at age five. Well, I took lessons at age five. I think sometime uh, when I was four, I remember uh, trying to write down tunes on a little sketch pad uh, with uh, homemade staff paper. And apparently my mother decided it was time for piano lessons. Uh, so from the age of five, I began to study uh, first with her and then the uh, local elementary school music teacher. And when I was a teenager, uh, we discovered that the Cleveland Institute of Music had a preparatory department. And that was very important for my development because uh, up to that point, I had been kind of the, the local prodigy, you might say, um, which is uh, really a stretch because it was a very small town, but um, the adults in that community were already um, telling me I should play the piano. Uh, I was uh, able to play by ear. Uh, I was able to make things up, um, which, by the way, saved my parents a lot of money on sheet music. They would just ask me, you know, play this piece, and I would play it. And then um, I went away to the conservatory and had a lot of catching up to do, actually, because uh, my technical training was lacking. And so after a couple of years of that, I was able to get into the conservatory itself. And at that point, my life just took off because... um, no more a little bit of this subject, a little bit of that subject. It was all music, and uh, there was a library. So when I wasn't practicing, I could be in there uh, looking at scores, listening to music, um, and I practiced six or eight hours a day, and I would um, go to the concerts. On weekends, you could go to the Cleveland Orchestra. 
and hear uh, one of the best orchestras in the world for free. Uh, it was just uh, amazing. And so I, I got my training that way, uh, 45 minutes from where I had uh, grown up. Uh, but we didn't know about it for a while. And then uh, eventually I went off to graduate school on the East Coast. I studied at the Peabody Conservatory. And uh, this is all in piano. Mm -hmm. And I got my uh, master's degree and my doctorate from there. Um, and all during that time I was playing the organ. Uh, but you might describe me as one of those um, pianists pretending to be organist. Um, I started to play the organ in church about the time I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I subbed for the organist uh, at our church, and then I began substituting at various other churches, different denominations, and so on. And a couple of years later, got a regular job in the Methodist church. And I've been there ever since, uh, pretty much regularly now for close to 30 years um, and most of that time I was still not what I would regard really as an organist but uh, I was able to play the pedals I was, uh, uh, my registration was probably not very imaginative but I knew enough about the knobs not to be too afraid of that and uh, I did a lot of improvising actually because I had to make my way through school and to, to work my way through school and to handle a full load of classes and recitals and all of that. And I had church jobs and I found one of the uh, easiest ways to handle that was to uh, be able to make up uh, the morning offertory so there was less practice involved. And so I did for several years, um, I was improvising constantly. Uh, at the organ, uh, having come at it completely through the back door because uh, I was not studying with an organist. I wasn't studying improvisation. Um, I was just doing it because uh, there was a creative impulse in me to do it. Um, I found it a wonderful way to be able to think at the instrument to express uh, what you had to say. Uh, and at the same time, it was a great survival skill. Excellent. Michael, uh, isn't that the most important thing to sit down and play uh, the instrument? Uh, and uh, if you don't have a teacher, if you don't have a resource to learn, you just figure out things yourself, right? And uh, practice makes perfect, of course, over the mm -hmm. time. But your first, uh, you have to get, get over this initial fear and mm -hmm. just just play make music and whatever whatever comes out of this instrument is is beautiful it's going to be beautiful because it's you that's it's it's making yes. and, and it's always unique because every time you play it's different it, right? it is yes yeah sure you have to want it first of all uh you have to uh, to want it very badly um you know, one of the things that uh, Bach is, is known for saying, and he didn't say a, a great deal that we still have uh, written down, that uh, anybody who worked as hard as he did would achieve the same result. 
which is, I'm sure, mind-blowing for a lot of people. I say, oh, uh, well, he was Bach. Of course he could say that. But I, I think to myself, well, do, do we have any idea how hard he worked, uh, how often he was at the instrument? Uh, it's easy to look at someone's accomplishments and to say, oh, well, you know, that was easy for you, and you have no idea uh, what came about simply because of the hours that they put in, uh, the times that... You know, surely even Bach said, oh, that was a terrible improvisation. Oh, I'm never going to get anywhere. And he just kept working. And, and now we have the results. Exactly. But, exactly. You have to be willing to put your, your, uh, <laughs> yourself uh, where, where your heart is, right? Y you mm -hmm. have to be willing to do the work. Not only dream about becoming a professional organist or concert organist or or any kind of um, person who uh, who is achieve, achieves things right but you have to be v willing to to make this happen happen and uh, whatever mm -hmm. the 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 challenges you face uh, there are many multiple right i'm sure every person sure. has but s somehow or another we have to face this uh, ourselves and nobody can really um, you know say and uh, give us a magic pill right how to yeah. live our life in an easier way and uh, to make uh, you know take shortcuts and do a little faster and mm -hmm. overnight success you know it doesn't work sure you have to put in the work but the, and the amazing thing is it, it builds on itself too once you've begun I think Sometimes the hardest part is right at the beginning, and once uh, you begin to see results, you begin to get more enthusiastic, and that can lead in all kinds of different directions, in including uh, places to learn if you don't have a teacher. Uh, I think I discovered your blog simply because I wanted to find blogs by organist, and it's not so difficult anymore. You just go into the little Google box and type in organ blog, and, and so you can start reading things um, and uh, learning from other organists. Um, I've actually done uh, perhaps an embarrassing amount of uh, learning from YouTube because since I was not trained as an organist, uh, I didn't really know how to approach some things. And you can go and watch some world-class organists play the instrument and see what they're doing with their feet and how they're uh, adjusting the stops and how they're positioning their body. This was uh, something we would do at the conservatory when I was a piano student. You would go and you would hear a great uh, pianist play a concert and after a couple of hours, of course, the first thing we would all say to each other is, oh, I have to go practice. Oh my goodness, I need to go practice. But you would go practice and you would see uh, how you were treating your, your body differently from watching them for a couple of hours and how smoothly they would flow or, or how they would prepare something and you would feel different and so uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon and I, I find sometimes just by watching people uh, not to mention reading but that's all from curiosity that's all from wanting to, to do it and it builds from uh, from what you do and then the more that you can do the more you will get out of watching somebody else do it exactly. you know, because the other day I saw someone uh, playing a piece that I was playing and he looks down into the corner 
of the organ, and I know exactly what pedal coupler he's trying to find because it's buried right underneath where you can't see it. And there's just that brief moment where he turns his head, and I say, oh, yes, I know what he's trying to do there because it's right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you have to be very curious, as you as you mentioned. You have this uh, tremendous um, uh, thirst of new information, right, in your uh, specific field. In other fields as well, you have to be yes. very open-minded because many things can teach us. Uh, you know, many uh, other other areas can teach us about organ playing as well, about how to lead our life also, and uh, and this is all connected, I I believe too. And mm -hmm. um, y you know, I first um, I, f I, f I first met you through email, I believe. Uh, do you remember mm -hmm. this first email that you wrote uh, on the occasion of New Year of 2013? Uh, so it was like oh, about uh, almost like three years yeah. ago. So mm -hmm. uh, we've been we've been reading each other's blogs uh, that long, and uh, yeah. your question was actually about the registration. Do you remember playing uh -huh. at Christmas mm -hmm. Noel's by uh, Claude Louis Dacan? And um, uh -huh. and, and uh, how how do you approach registration? Is it is it uh, something that bothers you also today, or did you find more resources besides this book, mm -hmm. wonderful bar by Barbara Owen, of course? Yes, well, uh, I've certainly improved at that. Uh, I think now, uh, and I've recently been writing some blogs to help uh, other pianists turned organists, uh, I think probably the two things that are most difficult for pianists adjusting to the organ are uh, obviously playing the pedals uh, and the other one is what to do with the registration and uh, I did spend a lot of years maybe not being curious enough or sometimes you'll find the wrong combination and you can if you don't understand the logic behind something you can flounder for a while and uh, so I think uh, I, at that point, I was, was trying to find out what's the principle behind all of this. Um, and it gave me just enough of a, a freedom then to start experimenting with things, which uh, you never stop doing. But um, the, the difference, I think, is in understanding enough of the tradition and understanding enough of, about the way the organ is constructed to... Uh, come up with some things that, that don't sound terrible and then you, you start to realize, well, let me try some other things. Uh, another thing Bach is apparently known for uh, was this, uh, the creativity of his organ registration. And I'm sure that didn't come about simply because somebody taught him, you know, here's how you build a, a principal chorus and, you know, and so on. But he must have done a lot of experimentation and just listened to the results. Exactly. Um, Your instrument will teach you like 80% of, of what you need to know, basically. If you, if you are mm -hmm. very curious, if you uh, have inquisitive mind and very um, focused attention to what you're doing, right? And uh, yeah. if imagine you have uh, on your um, organ uh, at uh, Faith United Methodist Church in, in Champaign, Illinois, uh, how many stops do you have, for example? 
Uh, it's about 30. 30, so about uh, two manuals, right, or three? It, it's a two-manual organ, yeah. It's a very symmetrical organ. There are about uh, 10 stops in each division. Uh-huh. So, very interesting. And plus, plus pedals, right? 10, 10 stops. Actually, so imagine mm -hmm. having 20 on each manual, uh, 20 yeah. on, on, on total, <laughs> right? And you, yeah. 20 on manuals, and you have to you have the possibility to combine them all right so yeah. 20 by times 20 is is unimaginable number beyond imagination mm -hmm. right probably probably you don't want to mix some some like uh, uh tricky stops like like a mixture with with tears right alone yeah. without any uh -huh. uh, without <laughs> principal aid or something but yeah. if you are into avant-garde music what, uh, why not? Because yeah. these effects might be very, very colorful, even u without using, you know, foundations. And uh, really, there are that many combinations that are available to you, even using this moderate sides organ, which you have, right? So, yeah. so the only thing you need to know probably is is to to know this different performing traditions right of various countries of various periods yes. french german romantic baroque uh, renaissance italian n n dutch right mm -hmm. these traditions yeah. but other than that your experience your experiments will will show you the way and uh, because you still have to adapt to this organ right which is uh, oh, yes. um, is it <laughs> what kind of action do you have mechanical electronomatical what kind of uh, yeah, it's it's an electric uh, electric action, not uh, electric. not a tracker. And yeah. who who is the builder of your instrument? Uh, it's a Schanz from 1984. 84. So it's rather rather recent instrument uh, in terms of mm -hmm. of organ building, Schanz, right? And yeah. uh, but still, uh, if if you're playing, for example, as we talked earlier, Dakin, right? French classical music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, these reeds perhaps are not necessarily the same as we would expect on yeah. on clico organs or Dombedos yeah. uh, examples, right? Mm -hmm. um, drawings. So you still have to adapt everything. Or, for example, when you go uh, to be a guest organist someplace on on another mm -hmm. instrument, you find another situation, right? Yeah. And uh, if if you're s lucky, you can you know. Uh, think about the program ahead of time and keep the new organ in mind as well so to, uh, to accommodate the new situation but sometimes mm -hmm. people have <laughs> you know uh, an hour of repertoire under their fingers and play yeah. it everywhere so then you have to be very creative uh, how to combine uncombinable basically <laughs> stops mm -hmm. uh, to make s uh, to make sense of, of of the new situation but music, uh, maybe I think, is uh, the very broad language that people can of various cultures can understand. Uh, I'm Lithuanian. You're you're from America, right? And we can still understand each other. I think pretty well mm -hmm. through yes. through music, and um, and that's that's uh, that's how we can also adapt uh, different situations on different organs as well. So, uh, so amazing work, uh, Michael. I'm delighted that you are doing this. Tell me this: When did you started to blog? To write a blog? Uh, that would be uh, October of 2012, I think. 
this is, I think this is my third year, or is it, no, it's my fourth year. October, uh, right? Of, yeah, uh, middle of October. I started just a little bit earlier, um, mm -hmm. uh, end of 2011. Just let, and yeah. uh, we're still very recent in recent years, ten, uh, five or four years. It's fairly recent, yeah. Because yeah. blogs are, um, you know, experienced bloggers um, started writing blogs when they first started to appear in 2004, mm -hmm. I believe. Oh. Five, four, six. These are early yeah. days. Uh, bloggers like yeah. Seth Godin, right? Like, yeah. um, like. Um, Pro blogger came out also at that time, and uh, and th they started teaching these ideas how to write yeah. uh, blog posts and huh. these things. But uh, I'm curious, who, 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 or what led you to to really create the blog? I know <coughs> that you really uh, created your website Piano Noise earlier, right? Starting from mm -hmm. 2002, I believe. Right, but what what kept yeah. you uh, to this idea of writing things out loud and thinking of things out loud and sharing it to the world? Well, uh, you're right. Piano noise is from uh, the summer of 2002, and I don't know when I first had the idea rolling around in my head. I just remember rolling out of bed one morning and saying, "You know, it's about time I I register this domain because somebody else might take it." Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know why I thought. Piano noise was something somebody else was going to want. Um, it's a, a strange word, um, although I have to say every time I tell people what my website is, uh, you know, first they're a little confused, and then you get the impression, well, they're going to remember this. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so it's a very unusual, you know, piano noise. Uh, and then they'll say something like, oh, well, it's not noise, you know, because they're, uh -huh. they're, they're trying to be nice, you know. Uh, I actually think that... Uh, and I think I've written about this over the years, but uh, noise is sort of an inclusive term. Uh, it can be anything from, you know, turn that noise down to uh, something that maybe is, um, it depends on the ear of the beholder. So uh, it's an interesting, I find it an interesting term anyway. Um, and of course, in the beginning, it was intended uh, for the piano. And now I probably have uh, I have very close to the same number of organ recordings uh, on it, and I spend most of my blogs writing about the organ, and probably a similar number of articles, uh, which doesn't bother me at all. It probably really ought to have been called piano and organ noise, but that's too long to type anyway. So Exactly. Uh, so it, it is what it is. But um, I think from the beginning, it was supposed to consist of two things. I wanted to share... Um, music and uh, so I wanted to actually share recordings which back in 2002 is not so easy to do uh, in fact I think it was it was a couple of years back then we still had MIDI files and so my earliest recordings I experimented with MIDI files and I thought oh I, I can't stand the, the tinkly sounds of this and then one day I was on the web and discovered that someone had posted a actual audio recording and thought, wow, this is incredible. And then my next question was, can I do this? And uh, that took a couple of years, and I started to do that. Um, and that was just about the time, 2004, I was getting close to the end of my doctorate, and I was starting to take more of an interest in the organ. Um, and I wanted to 
share recordings and I wanted to talk about the recordings because my hope was that people who are not musicians would be able to come and listen to a piece of music and you can do on the internet something you can't do in the concert hall which is to really break a piece down and say you know listen to this here listen to that isn't it interesting what the composer does over here because when you go to the symphony they'll give you a long blow-by-blow -blow description of a piece that's a half an hour long and then they turn the lights down and then you can't remember 15 minutes later you know what was I supposed to be listening for here exactly and so you can you can actually take you know a five-second excerpt out and have them hit the play button now uh, which you couldn't do in 2002 either but now that's available and uh, hopefully you know that kind of approach um, some people probably don't appreciate it because it's like explaining a joke or something. Well, I just want to listen. But if you do that a few times, uh, your listening skills improve and you begin then to be able to hear things that you couldn't hear before. And you can listen to a piece that's 15 or 20 minutes long and has several parts going on at once. And you won't get bored uh, because you, you kind of understand the plot or you understand the rules, you know, it would be like going to a, a sporting event or something, you know, you're going to a football game or something and you know it's the last minute or two uh, of the game and you know the score is tied and you know their best player has the ball and he's in a duel, with, you know, and it's very exciting. Unless you don't have any idea what's going on, in which case it's just a bunch of people running around kicking a ball at each other for 90 minutes and you're bored. Um, and so I thought, you know, the more I can explain what is going on, um, not just in terms of, you know, well, this means this or this means that. No, use, use your own imagination, use your own faculty, but, but here are some things that you can listen for and that might make the piece more interesting for you or that you can understand about what was uh, going on in the composer's world at the time and hopefully that builds on itself and then you really uh, start to catch fire and, and you hear things and that just like enthusiasm for practicing uh, it builds on itself and then you want to listen to more and suddenly Bach is really exciting and you, you didn't know what to do with him before and now you you can't stop listening to him exactly. so I was hoping to build a passion among listeners, really, the, the earliest uh, attempts I had were to reach non-musicians, and since then I have also built in a component where on Wednesdays, uh, particularly on the blog, I talk to other musicians and, and about building the, their craft in all of the ways that I approach it, uh, improvisation, memorization, accompanying, any number of things. Yeah. So, Michael, I think um, you're doing tremendous, um, uh, also um, tremendous work, I think, in terms of organ, entire organ global community, because your stories that you share from your own, uh, basically, uh, practice experience, your um, liturgical organ performance experience, they can be understood, right, across the board, across many, many um, different uh, uh, situations, and people from various countries.
can f relate to you, right? Because they are also church organists and and also have troubles in in organ registration or uh, turning the page, like in your recent recent <laughs> blog post, right? Yeah. You went to the to this uh, to the store uh, to buy something and and everybody understand that it's a problem when you have to turn the page yourself you have to photocopy yeah. music make things uh, smaller but then it's very hard to read right and yeah. uh, it's it's especially uh, and it's a great story right so telling yeah. stories is it's all what it's all about i believe too mm -hmm. so michael and uh, what about your improvisations? You you didn't say that uh, you studied in in the formal way. Did you have any any uh, organ teachers, or you just started uh, trying things out out um, yourself? How did it develop to this level? Um, well, I've been improvising probably since about the time I started piano lessons. Uh, I have uh, sometimes described myself as a bit of a goof-off. Uh, when I should have been practicing, uh, I was making things up. Uh, but, you know, part of that, uh, some of my early experiments that I remember, uh, oddly enough, uh, came from a kind of dissatisfaction with the, uh, the pieces that I had to play. And I would... I don't know where I got this. I probably uh, listened to a record or something and realized that you know music could be five times as long as this little two-line piece that I was playing. And so I remember one time uh, practicing the piece and then feeling like it needed to continue. And so I just uh, began making up what I thought should happen next. And uh, eventually I would wander my way back around to the piece and play it again and then I would go off and, and do something else so that uh, it would uh, you know, be more of a, of a grand composition than what I actually had. Uh, so uh, some of my uh, early experiments, I guess, were, were along those lines um, just to satisfy myself. Isn't that, that what Johann Sebastian Bach did right at the beginning when he mm -hmm. took um, chorales by uh, Johann Pachelbel, right? Two-page, mm -hmm. uh, two-page pieces, or even yeah. one-page piece, and he expanded them, expanded into, into more complete compositions, yeah. imagining how how the choral tune should be developed and harmonized and making it more polyphonic. So mm -hmm. what you did actually is, I think, a classic example of what what we all can do: taking an existing organ score and then expanding mm -hmm. it and using it as a model basically as a starting yeah. point mm -hmm. and to adapting it to our situation maybe using a different tune melody uh, but mm -hmm. the same technique maybe using uh, the same tune but different technique or, you know or even different tune and different technique altogether yeah uh, things can be mixed up um, very creatively here mm -hmm. right and uh, uh, what about um, your liturgical player uh, mm -hmm. playing uh, during the the services for United Methodist Church? Do you improvise there too? Uh, yes. Well, that's uh, fascinating that you asked that question because that's exactly where I was thinking of going next. Because uh, the urge to connect things um, 
I find myself using today uh, in the liturgy. Um, very often, uh, I'll use improvisation skills to, uh, for instance, the introduction to the hymn. Uh, I rarely play what is actually on the page when I'm even when I'm playing hymn with the congregation. Uh, it depends how many people are there, how well they're singing, and maybe if the choir is singing really well. And I will usually play some combination of the the notes that you see and add some things. Uh, but the introduction sometimes uh, are attempts to uh, connect things. If I've just played an opening voluntary and it has some uh, particular motif or there's... Um, there's some sort of mood that it's creating, then I might uh, be able to sneak it into the hymn, or vice versa. Uh, maybe the uh, doxology winds up um, with a, a little bit of a flavor of the piece that just happened, so that there's some way to connect all of these things. Um, and so it doesn't wind up being a patchwork quilt, uh, which is easy to do when you have all these short liturgical elements. Um, and I think that actually my improvisation has grown because, uh, as you say, we need models. And so I will play something. And I remember very well uh, one week uh, many years ago but playing uh, an improvisation at the beginning of a hymn. And it, uh, it sounded like it, it emerged from nowhere, but actually... I realized uh, as soon as I had done it that I had practiced a piece on the piano just a few days ago and it had some of the same uh, patterns in it. So I was taking something that I had just, um, you might say, uh, ingested musically and everything that comes in through the eye uh, gets into the, the gastrointestinal musical system or something. <laughs> and. Uh, and and then it, it it comes out somehow, and so you you could you take that melody, and uh, you know this is what I'm thinking about this week. This is the the piece that I've been practicing, and it, it kind of surprised me because I didn't even know it was it was in there, and but it it worked because it connected the elements of the service. Wonderful, wonderful. I I am so happy to hear that other. Uh, organists are using the same tricks that we all do um, and uh, you have to just uh, let go of initial fear right uh, of, of making mm -hmm. mistakes in improvisation because many people believe they are incapable of playing correctly uh, correctly yeah. quote unquote basically mm -hmm. and um, uh, what is correctly? What is the right improvisation? There is nothing. There isn't anything uh, right or wrong in improvisation because it's you that that, that is creating, right? And you just you just uh, make things up, uh, mix things up as you want, and uh, you are the authority here, basically. And if if something happens that you didn't intend, you can repeat this mistake twice, mm -hmm. right? And sure. it will become the part of your composition, the part of your improvisation, intentional. Uh, yeah. That's a, it's a clever trick that I read about in, uh, I think, uh, 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 Hancock's uh, manual about uh, 
um, uh-huh. you know, improvisation. And he, he sure. says that salvation is always yeah. not more than than a half step away. <laughs> you know, if you <laughs> mistake, make yeah. a mistake, you just yeah. uh, th- play something uh, half step higher or lower and it will resolve beautifully. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Well, uh, yes, it's it's strange because um, very often I do f- uh, find myself judging the improvisations. I find you know, oh, well, I don't, I don't like this. I don't, and it, it's strange because there, you, there really is no answer. You know, did it go well or did it not? There seems to be something inside that that wants something, and if you find it. Uh, wonderful, and if you don't, you'll have to keep looking. But uh, yeah, people uh, in in my congregation are convinced that I never make mistakes, which is a very. And I tell them, well, actually, I'm making them all the time. But uh, if you're really in the moment and you're listening to what you're doing, uh, that dissonance can immediately resolve. Now it helps, I guess, if you really understand what you're playing. You know, if, if if as you're playing it, you can realize how, or you can hear which voice uh, is maybe not where it needs to be, or it is right now, but then it needs to resolve. And so every minute you have to be focused on um, just what's happening there. Um, and it, it, of course, it helps then also if you can record uh, in your mind, you know, you have to be a little bit like a DVR, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, you 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 play a phrase, and as you say, very often, yes, you have to then be able to recall that phrase. And uh, one of the things I will do when I work with students uh, on the improvisation, okay, now play what you just improvised again. And sometimes they can't do it, and say, well, you have to work on that skill because you have to uh, memorization. And instant memorization is a big part of improvisation. Exactly, and it's exceedingly tricky, tricky to acquire because in composition, mm-hmm. in on written page, it's mm-hmm. so easy, right? To repeat things, you just re- uh, yeah. mark, repeat, sign, and that's it. You repeat yeah. exactly as it's, as it's written. But when mm-hmm. you play something from your imagination, right, or or her- yeah. you're harmonizing, for example, a tune. And you you want to repeat the phrase in exactly the same way, unless mm-hmm. you understand what you're doing, it's exceedingly difficult. Difficult. Yeah. On the yeah. other hand, who tells, uh, who told that we have to repeat exactly as it was mm-hmm. <laughs> played before? Yeah. Nobody, yeah. right? No. If you if you if you have the imagination to to repeat with variation. That's even better, I would say, mm-hmm. because uh, it's unpredictable. It's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's a lively living yeah. organism, right? And yeah. uh, changing all the time, like like a virus adapting. Uh, your improvisation, your good improvisation, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I I remember um, on my first attempts to improvise in public, I would, uh, you know, create this piece, for example, very beautifully you know using some baroque techniques let's say it's it's a choral prelude in the trio texture you know magical trio uh-huh. texture where the tune hymn tune is put on the left in, in the left hand part in the mm-hmm. tenor range and played on the beautiful oboe stop for example and the right hand 
place ritornellos with the pedals and uh, uh, accompaniment figures you know arpeggio or, or other melodic figures and you create everything but first of all I would memorize memorize you know because I was was so afraid of of making stupid mistakes when playing in public so I would mm -hmm. prepare as a, as a written out composition for for myself even I would not write in, write things out but memorize as I practice you know and recreate exactly mm -hmm. the same way bit by bit measure yeah. by measure and it will come out the same time uh, the same way every time you know Mm -hmm. That was in the beginning, and there are some recordings like that on YouTube of, on my profile, and uh, I I still keep it to this day because it's it's a documentary of my process. I'm not mm -hmm. ashamed to admit because it it's how it's I started, but mm -hmm. later I realized that uh, you don't need to memorize anything here because you are creating in the moment. That's and if your mm -hmm. if your hand wants to go right but you go left. You just follow your hand. If your mind wo goes up and you accidentally go down, that's no big deal, right? You you just yeah. follow it, and you always can adapt, um, adapt accompaniment and and harmonization to make less or more dissonant as you go, basically. So, um, did you have the same experience also about memorization mm -hmm. at, at the beginning? Yeah, I've always found it rather difficult, actually, if uh, to combine improvisation with memory. I would, for instance, I would be sitting there uh, and the sermon was coming to an end and I was about to play the offertory. And uh, one of my early churches, every week I was making this up. And I would start hearing something in my head that I wanted to play. And I would think, no, I, I shouldn't listen all the way through because then I'm going to try to create what I did and for some reason that seems to be more difficult although there was also a period during that time um, even though as I say I wasn't uh, learning through a method I did see, have various stages in my life where I remember specifically trying certain things and there was a, a period where we, we had two services and I thought it would be an interesting challenge to improvise at the first service and then to see at the second service if I could play exactly what I played at the first service. So imagine, you know, trying to improvise an entire piece and then let me see if I can remember exactly what I played. And of course, at that point, the pieces weren't nearly as uh, structurally difficult. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but I was apparently experimenting with that, uh, not realizing, I guess, how important memory could be, but uh, simply thinking, well, this is a challenge and I want to take up the challenge. You know, Michael, I've thought about uh, our conversation uh, uh, in the beginning that you are a, an, a tremendously generous person, I mean, not only because you're making music uh, for your congregation, but also because you share those ideas. You're like a teacher in a way, because uh, sharing mm -hmm. things out loud, right, uh, thinking about the music that you play, um, is a very generous act. You don't have to do this, mm -hmm. right? Nobody um, um, is... Uh, is paying you to do this right you 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 keep 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 doing keep showing mm -hmm. up and it's very very yeah. generous because there are 
people probably counting on you to to show up in their uh, email inboxes i think and waiting for your messages and if they miss one they they may, might uh, you know um write thing t things to you where is your message i didn't get uh, this email <laughs> this week uh how about your experience at least uh, this was my experience how, mm -hmm. how about your blogging experience uh, did you have this relationship special developed uh, with your readers as well well, you know, uh, because of uh, the website, uh, which, as I said, is older, um, there the uh, format of that is very different, and there are actually some articles on that page, uh, on various pages which are much older. And so, unlike a blog where you write consistently and it uh, it, it keeps track of everything like a diary, there would be separate pages and, and different articles and. Some of those articles have gotten some attention. Um, one of the most popular articles, actually, is, is <laughs> speaking of page turning, uh, seems to be my obsession. Uh, I wrote an article about page turning, and it, it was attend, uh, intended to be a humorous essay, but at the same time informative, which is something that I often uh, try to do. That's and, very good, uh, because humor is part of storytelling, right? Yes, indeed, and it, it, it connects people, I think, much more easily than if you, you just use dry technical language all the time. Exactly. You know, I even find it dry, so I think if, if you know, I'm reading along and, and it says, well, you know, the composer, uh, you know, flips the theme upside down and plays it in retrograde inversion against the second theme, and then there's a retransition, and, you know, and if I find myself getting bored, well, I can imagine. So, uh, I wrote, uh, you know, don't crash into your pianist and things like that. And I have gotten probably more email from that. Uh, at all hours of the day, uh, you know, somebody will, will tell me, uh, you know, one woman in, in Germany was reading it in bed and wake, woke up her husband because she was laughing so loud. And uh, uh, the, the other day I, I heard from a, a retired professor in, in uh, Colombia and it's just these people from all over the world that will react in, in many cases to things that I had written years ago and have put on the site. Um, and sometimes then to something I recently put on the blog. Um, I should say, by the way, the uh, latest uh, series having to do with organ registration seems to be one of the most popular things I put up on the blog for a while. So. Um, the organ is really taken over, apparently. Um, Wonderful. And I've, I guess, uh, do you have any regrets uh, ever, you know, of starting writing? Because I believe by now mm -hmm. you're kind of committed, right? You, you mm -hmm. know that you will be uh, writing yeah. uh, things uh, yeah. on Wednesday, on Friday, on Monday, right? And, yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, you don't perhaps know what exactly you will write when, when Wednesday comes. But you know Some, that you know, have to write something, right? And you think yeah. about that ahead of time, and you, good or bad ideas will come. Sure. Uh, yes, it, it, uh, it varies. Uh, you said actually earlier, you know, that I don't have to do that. And I was thinking, well, actually, I do. I feel like I have to do it. it it's something, uh, you know, that I, I, I was put here to do. I don't know. Um, but it, it's part of my personality. Um, but uh, there are times, yes, as soon as you, you've committed to something, 
and now I have to come up with something to write. And um, usually about a week ahead of time, I, I try to figure out what I'm going to write because I hate getting halfway through the day before the blog and having no idea. Um, it's strange. I suppose, you know, a lot of people enjoy the stress of working up against deadlines. And I think sometimes that actually does help, but I don't like it. Uh, I don't like the feeling. So I would prefer to at least have a plan in mind. And the, this year I've been able, the weekend before, to write the blogs for the week, and then I can proofread them and, and send them out. Um, last semester, I think I was, was doing it very late, and uh, it, it got difficult, uh, especially about uh, January, uh, February and March, when the, the weather is cold and it's very dark here in, in Illinois, and uh, I start getting a little depressed, and it gets harder to write the blog, I found. But uh, when the weather is good, when, when things are going well, um, when I have an idea, uh, and ideas are easier to get if you're engaged in what else is going on. You know, I, maybe I read your blog and think, oh, that reminds me of something, and then I have something to write. So if you're getting stimulus from the outside, um, it's, it's far easier. Suddenly you have something you want to say. And if you kind of close down, and so I use the image of the winter and the cold because it tends to make me want to do that. And then it, it becomes harder to have something to share with people because you, you know, it's, it's like not eating and expecting to have energy. Uh, it has to work both ways. Exactly. And of course, there are readers. Readers always are curious, always asking mm -hmm. questions, right? Yes. And that's perfect ideas for your blog post, for articles, yes. because uh, these questions uh, are interesting or relevant or useful or helpful for one person. You might assume there are hundreds or, or thousands of other people who, who would ask the same question. And uh, mm -hmm. that, here you go. This is the perfect idea for your article out of nowhere, right? Uh, you didn't yeah. expect this mm -hmm. question to appear in your email, email inbox but here it sits and all you yeah. have to do is to reply that that person and then later perhaps to expand and make it into your blog post that's it that's that's mm -hmm. very uh, classical way of of writing pra very oh, practical yes. advice yeah. i would say mm -hmm. Do you, yeah. see, do you see, uh, just a short uh, story to interrupt you, do you see yourself as a teacher in blogging too? Yes, I think so, uh, very much. I have been a teacher, uh, you know, in the traditional way. I, uh, I have done some college teaching. I had uh, a studio of piano students and uh, composition students and uh, things like that. So I guess it's uh, in some ways simply a, um, a spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a continuous thing. But um, when I give concerts, I will uh, take the same approach very often. And people like that. In fact, um, even at my church, uh, I will put things in the bulletin about what I'm playing, you know, this morning's offertory is this, and here's why I chose it, and here's something to listen for. And I probably get the most positive comments 
um, about that over the years. People constantly say, oh, I'm so glad you... To, because you're communicating something. Exactly. And most people, you know, do not know uh, the works of Bach very well, or, you know, they don't know the organ literature. And uh, if you're able to come to them in their native language and explain something, it makes a whole lot more difference. You know, we have to realize as much as we love this, we're often playing music from, you know, hundreds of years ago, uh, halfway around the world, you know, written by people who lived in a very different world. And the people that we're playing it for, uh, you know, are in a very different situation. And if you can simply give them a, a little bit to go on, uh, it makes a huge difference. And they feel like, you know, you are trying to communicate with them and you're not simply playing it at them. Sometimes they think if you just come out and play a piece of music and, uh, you know, you just sort of expect everybody to to connect with it. Uh, that may work if you're playing for an audience of specialists. It depends on the situation, you know. Sometimes coming out and playing, you know, the complete art of the fugue nonstop with uh, no explanation will, will work, but uh, in most cases, uh, the people in my community uh, would rather have um, some dialogue. And so in concerts, I'll do the same thing. I'll come out and I spend some time talking about the piece and uh, you know, spicing it with some humor, uh, but uh, giving them something to uh, appreciate about the piece and listen for. Uh, it may be their first chance to hear the piece, you know, and I've been working on it for years and they've never heard it before. And so, I, you know, it's only fair. Give them a running start. And uh, of course, the most important thing that they feel from you, from your communication, mm -hmm. is that you care that you yes. care you care enough to to share uh, those uh, vulner vulnerable ideas mm -hmm. you you open yourself up for criticism right because you oh, write yeah. things that might not resonate for them with them mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. they after the liturgy can come up to you and say oh michael i didn't understand <laughs> what did you mean or i have a different opinion i didn't like uh, your postlude your hymn playing was you know too slow or uh, too loud or whatever uh -huh. but you are generous you care and people feel that you are you are mm -hmm. you are um, basically um, transparent and uh, communi uh, communicating mm -hmm. uh, those ideas that people can as you say relate mm -hmm. to and uh, mm -hmm. then later they can reciprocate, I think, too. Yeah. And I hope engaged, because it means you are there. And uh, that, for me, is an enormous difference. Uh, when I walk into the church on Sunday morning, uh, I feel like here, right now, you know, we are, we are doing something uh, important uh, that we're part of a very long tradition that goes back thousands of years, it's all over the world, but we're not um, just marking time. You know, we're, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, stamping out another uh, item on the assembly line, that this matters. And uh, improvisation is, is a way for me to do that, and communication is another way to do that. Here we are, and, and we are all in this uh, boat together, uh, like a lot of Methodist churches, ours is actually is literally built like a upside down uh, ark. Uh -huh. So yeah, uh, so we're we're all in the ship, and.
And in this moment, uh, this is important too. Uh, it's not everything, but uh, it, it is everything right now. Well, uh, Michael, tell me this. Uh, I know you are interested in new music as well, right? Not only in classical mm -hmm. organ yes. compositions, but you're always on the lookout of uh, of new compositions. Because I remember you contacted me about one of my pieces, right? Yes. Uh, Veni Creator Spiritus, was it? Um, uh, yes, I yes, played, I played that. And a, you played that, right? Uh, a few... It's probably been a few years uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, that I played that. Yes, I've uh, uh, had some good luck finding some fascinating pieces for Pentecost, and that was certainly one of them. Um, also, your uh, piece for Communion, which I think may have been the first one I played. Uh -huh. uh, in fact, I just uh, noticed that the other day. I, I have uh, a recording of that up, and... Uh, <laughs> It's really interesting because we had a, a nest of birds outside of our sanctuary uh -huh. and uh, from about the uh, beginning of June to the middle of July, you, you, the birds are going nonstop. And so that you can hear on the recording the birds chirping along with the, that uh, wonderful bird-like passage in the right hand right. Uh, that repeats over the chant. And I, I kept thinking, oh, I should re-record re that. I mean, to get the birds out of it. Re-record it in, in December when the birds are not there anymore. Uh -huh. And I thought, well, you know, I, I don't know. I, so I, it's yeah. very uh, Birds have special effects, right? Yeah. Vogelgesang. <laughs> like one of those nature tapes or something. Exactly. Beautiful. Uh, you know, I, I have to say that it was Jean Langlais who inspired this, this passage in the right-hand part for uh -huh. me. Because uh -huh. he created something uh, also quite similar, not the same thing, but a similar technique, you know, mm -hmm. using modal writing. So, um, I know that you are a composer too, Michael, right? Yes. What kind of music um, is interesting to you the most and what kind of ideas you create in musical means? Well, uh, most of my compositions are for the piano. Um, that's partly, I suppose, because uh, many of them are older, and I was at that time playing the piano. But uh, I think I, I also felt that as a pianist, uh, the sacred literature really has kind of a hole in it. Uh, if you're an organist, you have hundreds of years of great music uh, written by uh, the great minds, and uh, Piano in church is, I think, a phenomenon that is mostly limited to America and uh, largely to the South, but, uh, but we have it in the North as well. And um, I didn't feel like the tradition uh, was as, as deep and as rich as it could be. So um, I started to create pieces that were um, more technically difficult. Uh, certainly, uh, because I'm at the level of a concert pianist, and uh, it, without worrying about, well, is it, can I sell this to everyone? Uh, because you know, publishers will make you simplify everything so that they can, you know, everybody will be able to play it. And I thought, you know, artistically speaking, I wanted something that um, engaged the the hymn that was being set that did it um, with 
regard to the form and the structure of the piece that had all the same types of concerns that uh, an organ composer would have. And so the majority of the pieces that I've written up to this point have been for the piano, and many of them, I would say most of them, are uh, built around hymn tunes and can be used then for uh, opening voluntaries or offertories. Uh, we have a wonderful uh, Steinway sitting right next to the organ, and so I'm able to hop off one bench and then the next. And uh, so I'll often uh, play one of those. But uh, stylistically, um, it tends to be somewhat eclectic. I found early on that one of the things that I was doing was trying to historically engage the era of the hymn. And so if the hymn was written in 1830, I might pay a sort of homage to what was going on artistically in that period. But at the same time, I never wanted to sound like an imitation. So hopefully everything I've written sounds like a 21st century composer, uh, nevertheless uh, shifting gears and uh, maybe... Um, paying some attention to other styles without um, being completely submerged by them. Um, and I've since, I've written a few organ pieces, but they tend to be improvisations that I've later written down, if I was lucky enough to have a tape recorder uh, available at the time. Wonderful. Are they available on your website too, your improvisations? Or, or the compositions, I mean? Uh, people... Uh, well, the, the scores are not. Uh, I could make them available pretty easily. Uh, these days, all you have to do is make a PDF out of, out of things and send them. And uh, to this point, I have not uh, made any serious attempts to sell them uh, or to make them available. But uh, if anyone is interested, um, the, the recordings are available uh, of a, uh, maybe a quarter of, of what I've written. Um, uh, I have to tell you, they're, they're mostly buried under a pseudonym. Um, if you know French, uh, many years ago, uh, I was looking for a way to list the offertory in the bulletin, and for some reason I didn't feel like putting my name in there every week. And the, uh, the fellow musician who worked at the church uh, uh, pointed out that uh, hammer in French is marteau. Uh -huh. And so uh, my, my nom de plume was born. And so uh, if you go to the, uh, the button that's marked listen, if you go to piano noise and click on listen, there's a, there's a whole archive there. And uh, several compositions ascribed to uh, Mr. Marteau, um, whose composer I know very well. Um, and as I say, th those are mostly piano pieces, and, and there are a few in the organ section, too, which I think all uh, began as improvisations and were written down. Wonderful. Wonderful, uh, Michael. I, I think, um, you know, people can really find much, much inspiration in your work uh, through your 
writings uh, first of all through your improvisations and your recordings and uh, also through your scores if you if you would um, be you willing to share with them as well so sure. great uh, um, can you tell us our our listeners basically how they can find you and your work online uh, well, it's not too difficult. Uh, the main website is uh, www.pianonoise.com. It's all one word. Uh, sometimes I get tripped up typing N-O-N-O, but uh, pianoandnoise.com. And uh, the blog is right off of that. Actually, I think its full address is pianonoise.blogspot.com. But if you go to pianonoise.com, there's a navigation bar you can go and read the blog. Uh, all of the links are on the home page. Um, there's a listening button. You can access the recordings. Uh, if you go to the page marked God Music, that's at the top. Uh, I see that. I, I make up, uh, <laughs> I like to make up words, um, apparently. Uh, and that usually will uh, link to what I happen to be playing in church that week. And my blog on Friday uh, frequently deals with that as well. But uh, and I have other uh, departments. Uh, you can ask questions um, on, uh, on a page devoted to that. And, but I find people often will want to simply email me, and my email address is on every page, or should be. And uh, so you can do it that way, too. Wonderful. Michael, um for our uh, for our closing part of our con conversation can you tell us a little bit um, maybe an answer to the people's question when they uh, wonder why should I blog why should I share our my ideas why should I uh, write things uh, out loud and um, um, what's your take on this well I suppose uh, the first thing you want to figure out is do you have something to say? Um, although maybe we could rephrase that and say, well, are you passionate about something? In which case you will want to have something to say about it. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to write well. And if it makes you feel any better, I often feel like I, I read a blog post that I've just written and think, well, that could have been written better. Um, so it, it, it a continuous struggle, but um, but if you have something to say and you want to say it, then you don't really have a choice, um, and somebody out there is going to connect with it. Um, if you are starting in blogging, it may take a while. I was re really shocked when I began to blog uh, about all of the days that I would look at the number of people who had accessed the blog and it would say zero, mm -hmm. and I was. Zero. How can this is the World Wide Web on the entire world? You you mean to tell me everybody who had a computer, nobody was on, and then you know the next day it would say two or something. Uh, but uh, you have to give the search engine time to find your blog, uh, and you just have to keep doing it. Uh, I know you have evolved. You have spent a, a good deal of time building a community, and I've seen it grow from I don't know where it was when I started reading, but it has gotten much larger in just the last few years. So well, exactly. Uh, my uh, my blog is very easy to track because of the secrets of organ playing uh, f 
page on Facebook because uh, mm -hmm. there are you know um, different people reading this on Facebook also so mm -hmm. then uh, they can can connect with me on Facebook so various yes. uh, social networks today are mm -hmm. great tools in communication and connection so what you can what you can do is to uh, share your blog posts pay perhaps even automatically uh, through these various social pro platforms like Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn mm -hmm. and and uh, whatever else is maybe um, uh, relevant to you, your case and then people can find you easier more, more um, in more, more quick quicker i would say because you are in front of them you're putting your your blog post in front of them and and later on connecting it's not like a, like spamming people you know here is my idea you have to read it <laughs> like an advertisement no but it's 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 a it's a relevant information because people tend to connect with people with similar ideas right on on social networks and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, they are interested in the same stuff because uh, we are on the same boat right and uh, as you say you mentioned very important thing you started blogging not because you 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 wanted to express something right and you felt that you have great ideas and to share with the world but you felt that you didn't have a choice right you mm -hmm. as an artist from the big capital A you didn't have a choice and that's a big yeah. big thing uh, greatest mm -hmm. idea I think is to understand that we we have the responsibility right here and if yeah. if we are uh, we have something to say to to not say it it will be completely selfish right uh, to keep it uh, under the pillow great ideas and uh, never used never show to themselves to other people because <laughs> they might steal them and we yeah. would be robbed of our ideas but guess what uh, after one hour we might get a hundred new ideas right so let mm -hmm. them steal from you Michael yes all right so thank you so much Michael you were so generous today with your time and ideas and uh, I hope uh, you your work will inspire other people to share their own work um, the way artists do and uh, create, improvise, compose, practice just, just like you do and grow uh, all the time through uh, mm. development of these ideas. Thank you so much, Michael. Uh, I hope generous. so. And, and, and thank you, Vitas. You have inspired me. Uh, and somebody inspired me as well. So we're continuing this tradition as well. And um, I hope yeah. you will inspire other people and this circle will continue and grow. Amen. Amen to that. So yeah. have a great afternoon in Illinois. And uh, I'll, I'm very eager to talk about your next uh, ideas uh, later on, about your next compositions, about your next projects, perhaps about your next recitals that you will be playing in the future. Yes. Onward. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. 
I'm Vida Spinkavichus. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you online really soon.